you know, I'm really pressing into God for us. And I really, really would appreciate you getting behind that. So we've got a corporate push. Amen? We have a corporate push in the, in the spirit. It's a good place to say amen. I'm not wasting materials on you if you're not going to use them. I've been saying for some time now that the reason why our nation is, is in moral decline is because the church has lost its voice. And she doesn't know what she's about predominantly. She's lost her way. And the reason why she's lost her voice is because I really believe the church has lost its consciousness towards God. When you lose your consciousness towards God, you lose sensitivity towards the things of the Spirit. You don't, you don't, uh, you think of this week's current news and think of the refugees. And, you know, whatever your thoughts or opinions are about that, that's not really my concern right now, other than to say that there are some people who have got a consciousness towards humanity, and yet politicians see economics behind that as opposed to compassion. And there is, you know, sometimes in the church we can get so mechanical that we lose our compassion and we lose our consciousness and sensitivity to the things that are on God's heart. The Pharisees were mechanical, they were religious towards people being healed on the Sabbath. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, but yet in their mechanical, religious, logistical way, they could only think about the law being upheld rather than the man being set free. It's so easy for the church to become legalistic over things, thinking we're being spiritual. And those things that we those things that cause us to do that, each one must be taken seriously in their own merit. Yeah? It's not a, a blanket for everything. But when we lose our consciousness and we lose our sensitivity, we no longer look for God's leading. So therefore, you're in the workplace, you're out in society, but because you lose your consciousness, your sensitivity, you're just amongst people, but you're not conscious that these people are going to hell. Some of these people that you've got lifelong relationships with, there's no urgency, so there's no sense of an opportunity. And when there's no sense of an opportunity, church, we are no longer the church. The church has lost its place in society. And when we say the church, let's not hide behind that banner. Let's put it down to you. You're the church where you work. The only Christ they'll ever see is you. The only church they'll ever attend is you. So let's not hide behind that, that big you know, elephant called church. The church is you and it's me. And like I say, you're the only church that this world is ever going to see because the church is people, it's not buildings. It's living stones, not physical stones. Amen? So when Jesus said he's building his church, he's building his people, he's not building a, a building. He's building a bride. Yeah? So if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, and many of you have read this scripture before. It says, for, for 
It is by grace you have been saved. Thank God we're saved. Thank God that there was a time in our lives where we became conscious of the fact that we needed to be saved. Yes? And you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ. Jesus, sorry, created in in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a lot in that verse. There's a lot in that verse. There's a work that God's got for you. It's got your signature on it. Signature is something that is unique to you. We all write our names differently, don't we? Sometimes you can, you can countersign someone's signature forge, it should say, learn how to do it, and, but there are some signatures you just can't forge. You look at the way Andy writes, Andy's got a very, very unique signature, which is unique to Andy. I wouldn't even have attempt to try and write Andy's initials. It's just weird. It's a duffism. It's a duffism. And we've all got a unique signature God's given to us. In other words, it's that signature that makes room for you and validates your position here on the earth. Think about that. Your uniqueness is what gives you a position on this earth. There's no two people the same. There are similar, they're identical, but identical and similar is not the same. There are still differences. We've all got different paw prints. Yes? So, though we can imitate one another, we are very unique in our creation. And so God has given us a signature, but there is a work, there's a task, and there is an assignment that God wants, and God has assigned for everyone on planet Earth who is a believer. Yeah? Coming to church is not your work. It's your responsibility which should come out of your love. Yes? Singing is not your, it's not a work. It's your obligation to worship the Father. He's worthy. That's why we worship him. Not because we think, oh, I have to. That's the religious who do that. No, we worship him because I love him. I praise him because I love him. Because I recognize his work in my life. Amen? So, Ephesians breaks this down. He says, not by works. First of all, salvation was not earned. It was given. But there was a work behind the scene that took place in order for you to receive salvation. So my father sent his son to do the father's work on the earth. It's our father's work that we must be involved in. Jesus put it this way, it's my father's business. That the church is meant to be involved in the father's business. But before you could get involved in the business, somebody had to start the business. Many of you are going for jobs and you walk in the interview, but all the hard labor started those companies so that you could now go for a job. So the work started before you found the work. Salvation is the greatest work. Jesus Christ is God's greatest move. If it was a chess, a game of chess, Jesus Christ was God's greatest move. It killed, overcame, 
overturned all the works of the evil one through one move, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ comes on the earth and he does the will of the Father. He does the work of the Father. It's that will and that work that you and I now are called to do. But how many other religions will think, because they bypass this, this uh, element of grace and faith, how many of you believe that they have to work in order to inherit? Now, the beautiful thing about Christianity is this, is we receive by grace a grace and a faith that was given to us so that we could believe. So you didn't even have the, bad, uh, you know, the basic DNA requirements to receive. It had to be given to you. So you can't boast about it. Yes? But once you're saved, you didn't, you didn't work to get what Father gave you. But once you're in the kingdom, there is a work for you. Does that make sense? Now, every time you see a Mormon and a Jehovah's Witness, he hasn't got that revelation. He has to keep working, thinking he's going to get. If he keeps working, he'll get there at the end. You and I got it, and we didn't do anything. He told the disciples, your cities you didn't build, you'll get them. But why? He said, because the prophets before you did the work. So that you could receive what they worked for. So we are in a time continuing where there's been a work that's gone before us. We must now continue. Amen? Then he uses the word workmanship. Now the workmanship means that we are God's voice. We're his arms, we're his legs. When you want to take Jesus to work tomorrow, just go. Your voice is his voice. When you see somebody in need and you help them, that's his arms. When you walk towards them, it's his legs. When you put your heart towards other people, it's his heart. Take Jesus to work. Don't leave him at home and just connect with him when you come home. Take Jesus 24-7. Amen? He's not someone we pick up, put down. He's something who's in us. He's part of us. Amen? So this workmanship makes you an ambassador. An ambassador. So... If God wants to make his appeal through you tomorrow, he must be free to make his appeal through you towards... So in other words, there's someone in your place, someone on the way home from work, could be on the bus, the train, wherever, on the street, and Christ wants to make his appeal to that person. He's got to come through you. He's got to come through you. What's the point? If he has to keep bypassing you, how bad is that? Hey, come on. So we see not by works, then we see workmanship. So we are God's workmanship. I'm a good, I'm, you know, I'm still under construction, but I like to think that the, you know, the older you get, you're nearly then you're nearly at the place called finish. And if you still don't look like you've a good work's begun on you, you're in trouble. So there must be some refinements taking place in your life. Amen. Don't get to the end of your life and still think, oh, I wish I had another 30 years. This is it. This is not a rehearsal. This is the real deal. So then we see out of that comes works prepared in advance. So we see this work, not by works. So salvation is not by works. It's by faith and grace. Then we see we are God's workmanship. And then he says, there are works that are prepared for us in advance. That's called your destiny. That's called your purpose. You understand, finding out why you were born is your purpose. Your destiny is the journey leading towards those great works, doing those great works. It's amazing. 
I think in the church today, we've, we just use purpose and destiny as, as, as cliches and as fancy phrases. But how many people actually do find their purpose and actually live? Well, I tell you now, I'm living my destiny right now. I'm not looking for my destiny. I know what my destiny is. I'm on the road to it. I know I'm on the road to it. So I'm not looking for it. But what I am looking for is all those things that were prepared for me in advance. Lord, is, this one, is Brazil one of those? Is Brazil one of those things? Yes. But it took me 17 years of walking on that path of destiny, doing other things, before that dot came in my focus. Yes? So now I'm beginning to see Brazil is part of my destiny. I'm beginning to see Europe is part of my destiny. Yes? I'm beginning to see materials, writing manuals is part of my destiny. Why? Because my manuals can go further than I can go. I get sick if the more I travel, but my books don't. If I can stay on planet, if I can stay here building the base and books can go, guess what? I remain healthy. And when I have to go and need to go and should go and release to go, then I can do that. But I don't need an international ministry to prove I'm fruitful. I don't need a t-shirt saying, visited, 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 tourism. When we go, we go. When we don't need to go, we don't need to go. So we need to live our destiny. Stop, stop, keep looking for it. Have a sense that you're on the right path. Doing what you're doing. Things can change. That doesn't mean to say you're on the wrong path. The path will change. You know, the... The flooring will change. Sometimes it's a, nice, it's a nice smooth road. Other times it's a rocky road. Other times it's just full of potholes. But it's still the same road. If you've ever, if ever kind of, Phil and I went to Edinburgh a couple of years ago. We passed the Peter and the satellite took us off a nice glorious road. Took us down this potholed. But you know the sat-nav says keep going. The sat-nav told us it's still the same road. We all looked at each other and think, what the heck's going on? We're in the middle of nowhere, so it appears. But we, that's how it appears sometimes, destiny, isn't it? I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm, going, I'm on that road called nowhere, or is it called somewhere? But just don't be on the road called everywhere. So we're on that road, and all of a sudden, boom, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. That's the urge of the Spirit, keep going. And then all of a sudden, you see life. You hit a small village, and then you hit a bigger town, and then you hit a... City, and then guess what? Then you arrive in Edinburgh. So, on the route to your destiny, the roads will change, but it's still the same road. Yeah? So, there's a work that's prepared for us in advance. Now, I know you all like Jeremiah, and I know you all quote it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's the, that's the scripture you, you, you cry yourself to sleep with at night. Put your thumb in your mouth, going, I know he's got plans for me. Well, when are you going to start living them? It's not enough to say, I know he's got them. You should know them. If he's got them, he makes them known to you so that you can live them. Yeah? What kind of father would it be if he never let you in on what he knows? Come on. You say, well, you should know my dad. I'm not talking about your dad. I'm talking about father. I'm talking about heavenly father. He says, surely I do nothing until I first announce it to the prophets. So there's one element of the father. He makes it known to the prophets. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So there he makes it known to a patriarch. 
So if he, knows it, if he makes his, no, his thoughts known to a patriarch and to prophets, why won't he make it known to you? Yes? Mark Twain, I used him this week, and I'm going to use him again. I've discovered Mark Twain. He's always been there, but I've discovered him. So Mark, for, God, for such a purpose as this, you're now on this earth. Well, your, your writings are left on this earth for me to use right now. He says this, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you found out why. The day you were born and the day you found out why. Well, Tom and Grace are going to have their first child in a week or so time. And that baby at some point in its life is going to discover, is going to discover why it was born. It's his parents' responsibility to help that child discover why mum and dad brought that child into, the, into this world, but what the plan of the father is for that child. That's the role of the parent. God did not let you in this world. You did not get in here by secret or by stealth. God knew when you got into this world. Because many didn't make it, but you did. You must discover why you're on planet Earth. Millions of people, and I mean millions, literally millions of people are running around this world doing things, trying to find out why they're here. Some are drinks, some are having sex, some are on drugs, some are doing all kinds of things, trying to find out why they feel the way they feel, why they see what they see, why they do what they do. And yet here is a God who lets us know why we're born. And tells us what we're on the earth for. He gives us not only purpose, but he gives us a destiny. Amen? Come on, you miserable lot. Look at it and say, yeah, thank you, Lord. When you discover why you're here, the next step is you begin to move towards it. Once I discover why I'm here, I, can, I then have a pathway to move towards or move down. Many, many years ago, you know, I told you this before, I, I never wanted to be a missionary. When we first went to my first church, Burnage, I never wanted to be a missionary. And do you know why I didn't want to be a missionary? Because I'd seen in books in the back parts of the Amazon or Africa in those days, forgive me, our, our overseas guests, but this is what I saw at the time, that white missionaries lost the reds. And I thought, why would I want to go to the nations and lose my head? That makes sense? You see something as a, as a young man, you see something in the book, you think, I don't want part of that. But little did I know that was always part of my destiny. Now I'm told to keep my head. Keep my head in all situations. But little did I know. So how many, how many what should I say, would you not think that if, I, if that's my picture in my mind, how many do you think I'm going to run away from that? Right. So then God has to get me to a place where they start talking about missions. And then I go for an interview to be a missionary in Germany and didn't even tell my wife. Can you imagine? Honey, I've got great news. Good news and bad news. The bad news is there's no more good news. But the good news is we're going to Germany. Thank God. God closed the door. He said, that wasn't the time. That wasn't the nation. That isn't for you at this point in time. But don't worry, Tony. Nations are in your heart. So a few doors had to close. I ran away from one path, trying to run onto another path, only to find out that it's God who sets destiny in people's hearts. But I was moving. I was going somewhere. I wanted to go to Germany. 
still want to go to Germany. I like Germany. I like the German language. I like the Germans. They're all right. I think we can take Germany. But God says, no. It's not for you. Okay. I have a work for you, Tony. You are my workman. You are my workmanship. There is a work for you prepared in advance. So then God has to align people up in your life who can help you see what you need to know. God has to take your places where there are people with revelations and information that need imparting into you so you see the bigger picture. Hello? Not everything that you're going to learn in life will be learned in this place. God uses all people to teach us different things. You know my story. I've told you many, many times. However, I have discovered the day, that day, May the 13th, 1961, I know that was a glorious day, why I was born. And I say 20 years, 25 years later, I started the journey of pursuing my father's work. Now, it seems like an awful long time of doing very little. And I think in these next couple of years, I think there's going to be a massive acceleration in my life to get to where I need to go. Yeah? So God, God's given me a unique signature and he's given you a unique signature. Can you see that you are unique? Just look at the person at the side of you. Do they look like you? Right. Do they look like you? No. There's enough evidence that God has got your uniqueness all in his plan. Thank God for that. So God sends his Holy Ghost to empower us to get on the journey. Okay? God didn't say go and do without empowering us. So God sends his spirit on the earth to empower us. Thank goodness for the Holy Ghost. Did we not just have a wonderful time of worship in the presence of his spirit? Thank God for his Holy Ghost. At some point in your life, you must come to the point of surrender. Giving your life to Jesus was not you surrendering. Ha ha. Many think when they gave their life to Christ, they surrendered. No, they just said yes. You didn't even know what the small print was. You didn't even know what the contract was. True? You just felt miserable. You just knew that you needed a saviour. You just knew that you needed a better place from where you were living right now. And you said yes. But you had no idea what you were saying yes to. But it felt right. It sounded right. It was right because you had the inner witness. It was right. True? Of course it is. Why? Because the spirit on the inside testifies that this is the Christ. This is the right thing to do. So you become Christian. In that first week, you all feel fuzzy. You're like that bottle of lemonade that's been shook up. Every time the top opens, you're on a high. Oh, I can take the world. And you're willing to put everything to one side because you feel so great on the inside. And then after that second week, you go flat. Come on. You go flat and there's no more fuzz. There's no more fizz. And you don't feel all warm and tingly inside. And you need a bigger shake up, but there's no more gas left. True? So then the Holy Ghost comes, you get, or you get baptized, and you feel another little bit of a fizz. Whoo, I got water baptized. Woo, woo, woo. You got wet, that's all you did. You got wet. There was no fizz in that water. But then some of you get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then all of a sudden, the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is another fizz. 
For some, not everybody has the same experience. Yeah? Me, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, man, I thought it was just champagne bottles everywhere. Drunk as a skunk in the Holy Ghost. Yeah? Couldn't move. They had to carry me. Brilliant. You think, I'm having another drink of that. But, but then you hear the voice say, now get up and go and use it. Can't I stay on the floor and just receive it? Can't I just have everyone keep praying for me every night so I can feel? He said, this is not a drug. This is a life. This is a transformation. Get up and go and use it. Well, what do I do? I'll make my ways. I'll make my will. I'll make my word known to you. Well, where do I go? Listen to my voice. Who will I speak to? I'll put them in front of you. What will I say? I'll give you the words. What part of this don't you understand? Go. Ah. So, and you've heard me use this illustration before. When you go to the movies to watch your box office movie, you have to put up with all the garbage advertisements first. I hate that. I want to turn up late so I can just get into the movie and the movie start. But you see trailers of other movies. Now, the guy who ever decided to put those trailers together, he might only have a 20-second window or a 30-second window to show you the, tra the trailer of his new movie. But in that movie, in that 20-second clip, it either leaves you thinking, I want some of that, or it either leaves you thinking, don't fancy that, do you? The guy's just spent four years of his life making a movie, only for 30 seconds, you say, don't fancy that. True? So then you see a blockbuster, and it's sold to you with all the sizzle. 20 seconds, that's all you get. You're going to get love, you're going to get action. I don't want the love, I just want the action. Right? I want enough for the, for the man fluid inside me to go, yes! I want to go and see that. I don't want to see that lovey and... But you see, when God, shows you, when God shows you his future, he takes you to his movies, he sits you down, he lets you see the, the screen for your life, and over 20 seconds, 30 seconds, he shows you enough to get you thinking, I want a piece of that. Yeah? But he didn't show you the love, he didn't show you the snot and the tears. He didn't show you that. It was action-packed. True? You don't want a prophet to come up to you and say, thus saith the Lord David, you're going to cry, you're going to weep, you're going to wail. I see you with all snot in your face, tears in your eyes, you're miserable. Who's going to buy into that? You think, yes, Lord, I'll have some of that. I'll have some of that. No, David wants to hear, you're going to go to nations. You're going to go into politics. You're going to raise up. You're going to reach this. You're going to train men. You're going to reach. My voice is inside you. David wants, I'm in for that. I'm having some of that. And he thinks, I'll pay the price for the movie. But then the tears come and the hard times come. You didn't tell me that, did you? No, I didn't. That's called faith now. Now you have to trust me to get to the next piece of the action. True? You know, it's like when you're watching the movie and, and it's action-packed, then you get to the romance and all the guys switch off. That's the time we go to the toilet or we put the kettle on. Yeah? The guys don't want to see that stuff. We want to see his head come off. We want to see a man get shot. We want to see the action. Depending on what kind of person you are, what kind of, you know, God knows exactly what scene to show you. He knows how to appeal to your conscience, to your heart. So you've got to ask yourself, what part of the movie are you seeing? 
And what part of the movie haven't you seen? Maybe right now you're going through a period where it's the blood, the snot, and the tears. Keep in. Stay there because the scene will change. The scene will change. True? The scene will change. But it's you having the strength to stay to the next scene. And when the next scene comes, whoa, you'll be up and down. You'll be like a bottle of champagne again, fizzy. Life isn't all about popping champagne. You know that, don't you? It's not. Sometimes God turns a, t- God turns a lid on your life and he finds you flat. And other times he finds you fizzy and buoyant. But go to Psalm 40. So the Holy Ghost is given to empower us. Not to make us fizzy, not to make us feel nice. The Holy Ghost is there as God's agent of change in your life. Welcome to agents of change. Welcome to living the days of heaven on earth. Welcome to high visibility, maximum impact. Welcome to arise, advance, accelerate and execute. That's what the Holy Ghost is inside your life for. To arise, advance, accelerate and execute the will of God, the mandate of God over your life. But if you've not been to the, God's movies, how do you know what to accelerate? How do you know what, how to advance? What direction to advance in? So the Holy Ghost, in, sorry, in Psalm 40, verse 7, he said, Then the Lord said, I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to break it down. The Lord said, Here I am, I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O God. Your Lord is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I won't seal my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I won't hide your righteousness in my heart. I will speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I will not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Jesus, this was in the Psalms. He was prophesying about Christ. He was prophesying about Christ. So the movie trailer of Christ's life, he was allowing the prophets to see the movie trailer of Christ's life. Okay? So anybody who read the prophets saw the movie that was coming ahead of time. Hello? Now, isn't it interesting that the prophets couldn't see, sorry, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and all the other religious nutters could not see and could not interpret the movie that prophetically had been declared ahead of time. Yes? They could not see what God was saying was going to happen. So when Jesus comes on the earth, he's saying, hey, remember that movie trail that the prophets told about, talked about, this is it. My father's the, the, the director, I'm now the leading cast. I am the man. How can you be? How dare you call yourself? How dare you call, call him your father? Well, he is me dad. How dare you associate yourself with a director? But he is the director. I'll show you he's the director. He who has seen me has seen the father. Don't talk, don't align yourself with him as being your father. And they were running a different script to what Jesus was running. But Jesus is doing the work of his father. The work that you and I are going to pick up. So the movie, there's more than one part to this. This is like Star Wars, it's never it's never ending. Yeah? But we start from the beginning and we go to the end rather than do it the other way in Star Wars. So he says this, then I said, first step, this is where you need to come to. You've got the Holy Ghost, 
You've got the workmanship of Christ. You've got the works of God on your life to do. Now you must come to the point of saying, here I am. I have come. This is why I'm here. Here I am. I have come. That's your first step. When you understand your purpose and you have a sense of destiny, your next sentence is very important. Lord, I don't see all the movie, but I've seen a glimpse of the movie. So the next thing is, I want to be part of this movie. So here I am, I have come. That's your first confession this week. Here I am, I have come. The second, I have come, it's written about me in the scroll. What scroll? For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. It was already written in the scroll about you. Hello? It's already been written in the scroll about you. You've already, you know, you comfort yourself. You know, I'm not an afterthought. I'm a forethought. God thought about me from the foundations of the world. He saw me in my mother's womb. The scroll wrote about you. So the scroll wrote about you. The only thing he didn't do was mention your name. But it says it wrote about you in advance. You was always in the Father's forethoughts about this day. He's even chosen the time, the generation, and the place where you will live. You were written in his scroll. Wow. Just suck on that one for a day. So here I am. It's been written about me in the scroll. So I have a place and I have something to say on this earth. Hello? There's your voice right there. There's your license to use your voice. Here I am. I have come. It's been written about me to do your will. God's given you the license right there. Wow. Tell your neighbor at the side. You're licensed. You're licensed. You're fully licensed, armed and dangerous, fully licensed. Then he says this, second step. Ready? I desire to do your will, O God. Here I am. I have come to do those things that was written about me. Yes, I desire to do your will, O God. That's me now buying in. Yes? The first one was me acknowledging why I'm here. The second step is now me buying in to the deal. I desire. I desire. No one else. I desire to do your will. I desire to be part of that movie. I desire to be committed to see that movie come to its finish, to the point called finish. I desire. I'll use my will my will, my emotions, my mind, your gifting in my life, I will do it. This is what Jesus is saying to his own father. I will do it. Your law, the third step is this. Your law is in my heart. In other words, something has taken hold of me on the inside that's compelling me to keep on doing what I know I should be doing. Your law is inside my heart. Most Christians do not have God's word inside their heart. They have a church life, but they do not have a God life. So we think by keep bringing them to church, pumping up the music, flicking on the smoke machines, flicking on the gorgeous lights, 
We've got a full building, we've got this ram jammed, but nobody's got a God conscience and nobody's got his word in their life. All we've got is a service, a meeting. God does not want you to be so thrilled with a church life. He wants you to have a God life with a good church. Amen? So your law is within my heart. In other words, there's something governing my thinking and my behavior. I am not my own. There is a software on the inside running my system. Yes? There is a software. Heaven's software is running inside, is governing, determining what I should do, how I should do it, how far I will go, the boundaries I must cross, the boundaries I will not cross. It's governing on the inside. There must be a governing factor on the inside of your life. There is a government on the inside of you, and this government governs. Yes? It must put the marks of territory. Determining our function. And then he comes to the fourth stage. Are you ready? So your first step is, here, uh, then I said, here I am. I've come. It's written about me in the scroll. Second is, I desire to do your will. The third step is, your law is written within my heart. So he's got a governing principle going on the inside. Fourth step, I'll proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. So now my mouth is involved. Now my mouth has to become Involved. I will proclaim righteousness. Wow. I'll proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. You must determine where the great assembly is. The great assembly is not in a church. Hello? It's not in a church on a Sunday morning. Your work is outside, not inside. This is called empowerment. This is called training. This is called worship. Let's call it what it is because this is powerful. This is righteous. That We need to protect this. But the great assembly is outside. The great assembly, the multitudes are gathering outside. And in the, in the multitudes, you must be proclaiming righteousness. You must be found, heard, seen, witnessed, proclaiming righteousness. We're never heard, we're never seen, we're never witnessed anywhere other than going to church. Wow. Do you, re- do you think you're going to get an Oscar for that? He went to church every Sunday. He was a good religious man. Worst thing you can ever say about anyone. He was a nice religious man. The community never knew he was there. The only thing we ever saw about this man is his back. He went to church. Big deal. Satan goes to church. Big deal. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. Step five, you ready? I won't seal my lips as you know, O Lord. I won't hide your righteousness in my heart. In other words, there are some environments that I just can't keep quiet. Phil and I and David have been talking about how to socially flip the tables. In other words, Jesus turned the tables of the moneylenders. What are the conversations we need to have as a church that's going to turn the tables upside down? We need that kind of conversation to provoke, to inspire. Provoke to inspire, not provoke to anger. 
But some things will by nature anger some people but inspire others. Yes? But we need to find out what are the issues right now that if Jesus was here, he'd flip the table up, drive them out, and cause righteousness to be established where we are. Yes? So when the church finds its assignment, its work, part of that work is to flip those tables up and drive people to a different thought. Now, sadly enough, Jesus did it in the temple. So where do you think you need to start this? Probably in the religious mountain. Church is the worst place. That's why judgment will always start with the house of God. Why? Because the tables are already turning. The people have already decided we're going to use the church to market our products. And the church is more of a, as a marketing platform than it is a Christ-centered platform. That doesn't mean to say selling a book in church is wrong. I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about when that predominantly is the main emphasis in a church, something has gone wrong, the people, that becomes an obstruction to the people meeting God. There's one God in the house. And it's not, it's not the man of God. He is a man of God, but there's only one God. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. But let's talk more about the God of the man rather than the man of God. If we talk more about the God of the man and the God of the woman, then we get God first and flesh last. But if we also talk about the man of God, we always kind of put him as some kind of idol. So let's talk about the God of the man first. We honor the man of God, but we love the God in the man. And if the man doesn't have the God inside him, I don't want to know you. My only attraction to you is the God in the man. That's what causes me to be family. The same spirit that's in you is in me. The God in the man. But if you just keep telling me you're a man of God and expect me to buy that deal, without, I don't see any witness, any evidence of the God in the man, guess what? You're no different than the guy outside. I must see fruit. I must see evidence. So we've really got to make sure that we don't keep talking about the man of God. In our network, there is a certain... uh, cluster of churches in our network that emphasize this. And he and I go violently after this. And it's all a game. Oh, the man of God, the man of God, the man of Shut up! It knocks me sick. Talk about God in the man. So the fourth step is I'll proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. Fifth step is I won't seal my lips as you know. So if he won't seal his lips... What is he saying? I will not bow to the culture. I will not bow to the demands of the culture. I will not bow to political correctness. I will not bow to stupidity. I will not empower nonsense. I will not empower people, a small minority of people, when the majority of us are not represented by your minority. So why would he empower stupidity? No. You're not helping anyone, Mr. Politician. In your desire to protect a few, you leave the rest of us exposed. 
back for all of us in equal representation or none of us. So I must and you must be God's representation on the earth. You are known as the equalizer. You bring reformation and equalization on the earth by your presence and your voice. And you find in your work, that's your primary assignment on this earth, to bring societal reformation and equalization. Now, they're big words. What does equalization mean? Well, where you see injustice over there, bring a balance. Where you see poverty over there, try and help bring a balance. <coughs> that's called equalization. So every man gets a fair trial. Every man gets a fair hearing. Every man gets a fair dealing with. Our job is to equalize. And it's in our equalization that people see there's a cause inside our hearts. They hear our voice. That's what we're here for. Equalization. So where can I start bringing equalization? (coughs) So if you're in a school and they won't let you teach, you know, religious studies... There needs to be some equalization. How we go about that, we've got to talk to God about it. We've got to talk to God about it. But right now, there's imbalance in our nation. We can talk about sex in school, but we can't talk about Jesus. Now, we all go, yeah, yeah, oh, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. We're like backbenchers. And now it's go, oh, yes, it's wrong, it's wrong, we're terrible. Do something! Don't just tell, you're going, oh, it's wrong, oh, it's terrible, oh, it's terrible. Do something. Well, what, what, what? Start asking the person above you. Lord, show me, how can I get involved and bring equalization? Lord, I will not hold back your righteousness. The first agent of change was Noah. Noah came on the backdrop of a wicked, corrupt generation. That's a perfect setting for revival. So don't expect your school, your office, your environment to be peachy. It's not meant to be peachy. It's meant to be black, dark. Why? That's what you're there for. To bring some light into it, to bring some sanity, to bring some equalization. Ah, well, how? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Get some wisdom. Get some tact. Start studying the book of Daniel. Ah, yeah, yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, you remember Daniel? Yeah, he's in the Bible. How do you think he managed? Conscious. Are you conscious? Bring in equalization. You do what you can do. Let God do what he does. So, I won't seal my lips as you know, O Lord. I won't hide your righteousness in my heart. Step six. (coughs) I'm glad you're following me. I will speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I will not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. All this was the movie that heaven was showing us is going to take place. Christ in me is the what? So this is my movie as well. If Christ is in me and I'm in Christ, then this is my life in Christ. This is my movie. This is mine. I'm part of this movie. I've been written into the script of this movie. I am now the representative. So when we, show this, when we show this movie in the generations, guess what? There's me, there's you, there's us playing our part. 
So when we fast forward this movie on another 30 years, let's just say some of us have gone home by that time. I expect to see that movie with people in this church now still living that movie. Because you've been written into the script. That's why you're on planet Earth. God created a good work for you in advance. In advance, so that when you're on planet Earth, he's going to announce it to you what your good work is. So you now have to use your will, your emotions, your sanity, your intelligence, your consciousness. You have to get involved and you have to make that same declaration Jesus Christ made. Why? Because until you actually speak it out and come into agreement with it, you're never in it. You're never part of the movie. You're always an extra. A potential extra. What does that mean? Well, today you want to be involved, tomorrow you don't. And just call me if you need me. The agency will call you as an extra if we need you. So you'll, get, you'll come up on the scene, on the set, and you'll let them put the makeup on. You'll drink the free coffee and eat the buffy that they'll, they'll uh, make available to you. And you'll see all the stars, you'll see all the action, and guess what? But you'll never be involved. You know, some actors or some stars... Not, let, me, let me rephrase that. Not stars. Some people, I think it was Ben Shepard. Who knows Ben Shepard? The TV presenter. He's been on lots of things. Ben Shepard got a part in Harry Potter. You don't know it, do you? Ah. Because he just wanted to be part of this legendary movie, and he was in it for no more than three seconds. And he's part of the crowd, and when they slow it down, you just about see him, but guess what? He was in it. He got a three-second action point, and at the end of all the titles, if you're willing to stay there and read every name, the tea lady's on there. Anybody who was in, involved in some aspect of that movie gets their name. Now, everybody knows you cannot make a blockbuster movie without a tea lady. It's the most important thing of the day to have a brew. She should be at number one. She's my hero. She made the tea. Then we all know that we all need a bit of toast in the morning. A bit of Holy Ghost. So the tea lady, all of a sudden now, she gets another level. But is that, that's not what God wants from us. God wants us not to be an extra to be written in the script. There's a place for us in the script. Now, some of you might have your moment, and it might only last for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 5 years, 10 years, but we're all written in the script. We've all got a place. We've all got a purpose. God's got, I know the plan I have for you. It doesn't mean to say we'll all be the leader. But the plan is to get the whole plan finished. True? So, rather than some people wanting to jockey for the top position, I want to be the leading star, I'm not one of the leading stars. If you take God's church, there's been tons and tons and millions of guys better than me gone before me. But guess what? If they hadn't have come before me, I couldn't have do what I'm doing. There's more gifted men than me. So what? It's not a competition. I'm doing what I can do. I know the movie trailer for my life and for our life. Your job is to find out God, to find from God what is your part in this set and in this script. 
Because we're going to judge nations. But before we judge them, let's go to them. Let's baptize nations before we judge them. Amen? At least let's, let's get our footprint, DNA, in that nation. Let's start in our nation. Let's, let's rewind. Start in your company. Start in your workplace. Start in your toddler group. Start in your network. Start in your neighborhood. Start somewhere. No matter how great or small, start. So then I said, then I said, so then there, there is a, you have to respond to what God is saying. Then I said. So when he said, then I said, something's been said before it. So whatever God said before, you now to say, now I'm going to speak and I'm going to get involved. Then I said, what did he say? Here I am. I have come. It is written about me. So Tony Higginson is saying to you today, here I am. I have come. It has been written about me that I would be here this day. And when, if I'm going to be here this day, it was also written about you that you'd be here listening to me. So let's get that one thing sorted once and for all. So therefore, we've all got legitimacy for being here. Irrespective of how you were born, irrespective of your parenthood, you're all here by divine intervention. Amen? We could have been somewhere else, but we're here. I proclaim righteousness. Is there anybody here who will proclaim righteousness? In the great assembly. In the great assembly. Find your assembly. I won't seal my lips, as you know. Oh, Lord, I won't hide your righteousness in my heart. Good. I will speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I will not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. That's got to be our declaration over this house. I will not. Doesn't matter what the politicians say, I know I have my legitimacy on this earth. I know when we stand and make our declarations, I know that God is behind me. God's gone before me. God's right in the midst. I don't need popular opinion to convince me what I'm saying is right. I just need the charge of the Holy Ghost. I've tasted the action, I know the size of the mission. I'm getting a sense, a growing sense of the size of the assignment. And I know there's more tears ahead of us. But there's greater, some of those tears are not all sadness. There'll be tears of joy. But there is tears. So, last scripture, Daniel chapter 2. I have so much more I could say, but I won't. I'm wrapping up. If this is your decree, if this is your decree, then wisdom from heaven is what you will need. Wisdom is what you will need. If this is your decree, and I say if, I wish I could make that word as big as I possibly can, if, because it depends on your choice. He says this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. <clears throat> you, O Lord, O King, and there before you stood a large statue. Sorry, that's not the scripture. It's Daniel chapter 2, but it's the uh, dream of the king. Where is it? Is it verse 32, Phil, in your Bible? Daniel chapter 2, verse 32. Is that right? It's about the wisdom. I've made known to you the dream of the king. Where is it? Is it Daniel chapter 2? 36, is it? Verse 
Just give me a minute while I find it. Yeah, somebody read it out for me, please. This is the dream of the king. Daniel chapter 2, verse, what was it, 30? 36. Go back a few verses to get the context. The king did not know what he had received in the middle of the night. He saw a vision. He had a dream, but he could, that he did not know what the dream meant. And it caused all types of internal frustration and agitation in his spirit. But Daniel was in the midst of the king's palace. Where was he? In the midst. Where are you working? In the midst of somebody, of, of your boss's palace. You work in the midst. So that's where Daniel was, right in the midst. But he was not always in a favorable position. Some of you are not in a favorable position right now, but you're in the midst of the palace. And there are people in that palace who are receiving thoughts and frustrations and they're looking for men like Daniel to come and help them understand and put an end to their torment. God will give you the wisdom to speak into people's lives in your company, in your neighborhood. You must believe that God has gone ahead of you. You are not the only person talking. God is already talking. All God needs you to do is instigate a conversation. And when the, um, the conversation has started and you start speaking, your wisdom, when they start freely telling you how they think and how they feel, you can then offer in wisdom answers to their internal frustration. Because you do not keep quiet in the assembly. If it's one, that's the assembly. If it's two, that's the assembly. If it's 20, that's the assembly. Wherever there is a conversation to be had, that's your assembly. But it will be your wisdom that will draw people into your world rather than your out-and-out evangelism. Now, there's two words here. Write them down. Covert and overt. Anybody who does military campaigns knows that covert and overt are two strategies. We have people behind the lines who are just, you know, covertly, you know, under, under wraps. And then there's a time to go outward. Yes? And God's got you in, in your company. And there's a time to be quiet. And there's a time just to live. And there's a time just to let your life begin to shine. Your light, I should say, begin to shine. But it's a time to go completely out. You can't be covert forever. You can't be overt forever. There's a time and a season for both. Okay? And there's a time that when people are opening and just talking and talking, you then begin to give your wisdom. And instantly, you've got them on your page. They go, wow. I didn't know you were as wise as this. And they're drawn to your wisdom and out of your wisdom, you make your God known. Daniel did not try and preach to, the, to the, the king. The king had an internal question. When the king had an internal question, guess what? All those people in that palace 
risked their lives, should say their lives became under threat because none of them could answer. And then all of a sudden, Daniel inquires, why is the king mad? So then he talks, and then the, the guy was telling, went and told the king, he said, look, I think I found a man who can answer your internal frustration. Who is he? Daniel, where's he from? Daniel comes in and he just says, oh, great king, da-da-da, 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 da-da-da. Gets the dialogue going. And then he says, it's not me who can answer all this. It's God. But it was a time in Daniel's life when he never said that. It was a time when Daniel said, just remember me. Me, 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 me. But then after he's been in prison and he's tasted dry bread, all of a sudden he gets out and he goes, it's not me. No, it's not me. I've learned that lesson. It's not me no longer. It's no longer that I live, but Christ who lives in me. But let me, let, let me tell you, King, the God who we serve can reveal what you need to know. So then he speaks from what heaven is transmitting to him. And then he says, I thank you, O Lord, that you've made known to me what we. In other words, me, Shadrach, Meshach, what me and the pals, me and the church were praying for you. We were praying together. So it wasn't about him. It wasn't, he wasn't saying I'm the only one. He was saying we were praying. And because we prayed, God gave me the answer. It's because, you're, it's because we're praying. Because we're praying together. Because we're talking like this together. Because we're pushing in the spirit together. That you can go and make the dream of the king known. But if we're not here, try and do it on your own. Because we're here. I thank God that you've made known to me what we asked of you. So the we asking, there has to be a platform for you to make known. Wisdom. We need the wisdom. Start looking for opportunities. And when you get the opportunity, ask God for wisdom. Listen first in order to be understood. Listen first in order to be understood. Don't think that you have got your story to tell. Listen to them first and out of them, make your wisdom known. Let them, in, let them spill their guts to you. And as they spill the guts out there, pick it up, put it back in its right place. Yes? Seek first to understand before you can be understood. Stephen Covey said that. wasn't my wisdom. That was a Mormon who said that, believe it or not. Now, you said that sounds good, that, until I said he was a Mormon. So even Mormons can say good things. There's not only Christians who say good things, you know. So, do you need wisdom? I lost the front row then. Do you need wisdom? Okay, you ready to, are you ready to declare? declare? What's wrong with my mouth today? Are you ready to declare Psalm, where's he gone? You know what, I had so much more. I don't know why I prepare like I do. Are you ready to declare Psalm 40 over your own life? Now listen, last week, you all stood here, and you said, here I am, available. Now was you lying? Let me ask you again, was you lying? You know, I'm not asking you. Listen to the voice behind me. Was you lying? 
So if you wasn't lying then, Psalm 40 should be easy. Because Psalm 40 is, you now said, then I said. I'm available, Lord. That's what you said last week. Most of the church was stood here. Here I am available. So if you're available, let me ask you a question. A week's gone by. Are you still available? Or has your bottle gone a bit flat? Has your fizz gone? Did we only stir you for the day? Did we stir you for the moment? Or was it Holy Ghost stirring you to the point where, here I am, Lord, I'm available? I ask you the question. You don't have to answer back to me. If you listen to me, then you think you've got to respond to me. But if you listen to the voice coming through, you spoke to God last week. You said, I'm available. So the Lord is asking you again, are you still available this week? Or did circumstances that, I, mean, I felt good last week, but I don't feel great this week. God says, well, that's why I'm asking you again. I'll give you a week's grace to ask you again. Are you still available? Because you know what, church? Hear what I'm saying, and you all know what I'm going to say now. Talk is cheap. Do you know I know that? Because I've done a lot of cheap talking. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. So may the blessed assurance of your body rise from that chair right now. In your availability, God is going to bring a consciousness to your life. This is, the, this is a big issue, I think, right now facing us as a body. Consciousness. We are alive to many things, but dead to others. So we have to have a consciousness. The Holy Spirit is the conscious mind of God living inside of you, who makes you aware of the Father's thoughts. That's why it says, walk in the Spirit, and anyone who is of born of the Lord will walk in the Spirit and do the things that the Spirit says. You cannot know the mind of God without walking in the Spirit. You must remain in the Spirit. You must walk in the vine, stay in the vine. <clears throat> so as we we cannot just have a church conscience. We cannot have, get a conscience on a Sunday morning. I'm aware that so many people treat the pastor like the headmaster. He walks into a church only to find naughty people. As soon as they see him, <laughs> they'll stop like that. As soon as he walks out the church again, they all go back to being naughty school children. I am not the headmaster. There is one who is high above me. Who watches you 24-7. You're not that important to me for me to watch you 24-7. I've got to watch my own life. But he's the one whose eyes on you. Not me. So, as we stand before the Father, if you will, raise your hands. Raise one hand on your Bible or whatever it is. This is not taking the oath here. But Father, I, I need to be conscious of your thoughts. Your thoughts to me are precious. I need to be conscious more and more day and night, oh God. Even when I'm asleep, oh God, my spirit will be conscious of your thoughts. So when I rise in the morning, I'm awakened. My heart is stirred by a noble theme. 
And as my heart is, is, is stirred by a noble theme, I will then begin to recite my verses to the king. You have got my mind. You have got my heart. You have got my, my inner awareness, oh God. I'm alive on the inside. Father, precious to me are your thoughts. If, I, if your thoughts were not precious, Lord, I would have no consciousness about that. But I do have a consciousness about that, oh God. And I'm saying, oh God, I want your thoughts invading my life day in, day out, 24-7. So, oh God, I recite my verses to the king. And now we're going to recite Psalm 40. Now, I have adapted this uh, verse slightly because I've said I, I put I in it. So I need to make it applicable to you. Your version won't say it exactly like mine has. But then I said, so let's begin to just read this. Now you're praying to the Lord. We don't have to say it all at the same time. Just begin to recite this Psalm 40, verse 7, to the Lord in your own time. This is you. This is not me. This is your availability. This is you now saying, Lord, this is my confession this morning. So Father, this morning, Lord, I will step. My first step, Lord, is to declare to you, here I am. Here I am, O oh God, I have come. Lord, thank you that it's been written about me. Thank you, O oh God, you've included me in your, in your word. Thank you, O oh God, that even though it didn't mention my name, Tony, in the Bible, O oh Lord, you have written my name. It's been recorded. I am here, Lord. I am licensed. I am validated. I am affirmed. Father, my identity is secure. Father, you wrote me in your heart from the foundation of the world. And here I am, O oh God, as living proof that I was always in your heart. It's written about me. So, Father, I'm going to become the living word, just as you became the living word, just as you became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Lord, I also am flesh, and I must dwell amongst other people. Father, so I can become the living scroll, not just the written scroll, the living scroll. So that all that has been written about my life, oh God, becomes visible, audible, physical, spiritual. Father, you've written, you've put your law in my heart, Lord. I cannot run away from your law. I cannot escape your law. I cannot, oh God, I've tried to ignore it. I've tried to push away from it time and time again. But your word keeps on tracking me down. So, Father, I surrender to your word. I submit to your word. Father, I want me and your word to become one. I proclaim righteousness in the assembly. I won't seal my lips as you know, oh God. Give me opportunities, oh God. Give me opportunities this week, next week, the week after. Father, give me an opportunity to declare your goodness in the assembly. Open doors, opportunities. Let me be aware, oh God, that this is a God opportunity. I won't hide your righteousness in my heart. I'll speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I won't conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Lord, have me. Take me. Use me. Open up doors for me to speak. Bring people across my path. Let me become a wise counsellor. Let me become a wise person who speaks in, in the palace of the king. Give me opportunities. Give me people. Lord, I know you're speaking ahead of me. I know you're speaking to people who I know, who have kept their thoughts and life from me. But, oh God, there's going to be a supernatural exposure. People are going to come out of the woodwork. People are going to be attracted to you in a different way. They're going to see the God inside of you. 
And you're going to have wisdom and tact. It's time to go overtly and covertly into some scenarios. God has given you the wisdom to know when to speak and when to shut up. Listen. Listen to my voice. Listen to the people speaking. And bring my word into their situation. Not your opinions. Not your urgency. But my wisdom, my leading, my spirit. Oh, Father. Your word have I stored up in my heart. Because how precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. Oh God. And all the words that Jesus said, if they were... If they were to be recorded, all the books in the world could not contain them. But all the fullness of Christ is inside of you. You are. You are the demonstration of that library. So Father, right now, seal this word in my heart. Whether I feel fizzy or I, don't, or I feel flat, it's immaterial. It's immaterial. It does not matter whether I feel fizzy or flat. I will rise. I will rise. I will proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Come on, let's give the Lord a stand ovation.